text of this sermon is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and verses 1 through 6. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, is this text. I was telling them in the early service that I got to working on this sermon and, and it's just kind of a scatter shooting kind of a thing. And I don't know when, you know, when to get to the end of it. In fact, we didn't get to the end of it in the first service. But I did quit on time or close to it. So I'm just going to wing it here. The most ex- some of the most exciting things that I've discovered in the realm of living by faith, I've discovered recently from this passage. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he had obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It was a blistering hot day in the jungles of Ecuador when two folk, ten people sat down to eat what was for five, the men, their last meal. These men and women were missionaries to Ecuador and five of them, the men, were about to embark upon a dangerous mission to the Aka Indians. And as they ate, they sang Finlandia and embraced. The song goes, Be still my soul. God is on your side. For the Lord undertakes to guide thy future as thy past. They ate that meal. They sang that song. And five men went into the jungle never to come back. Now what we normally say when we hear a testimony like that is, well, you know, that's normal for missionaries. Missionaries do that kind of stuff. That's, you know, that's expected of missionaries. Let's just suppose that you were on the panel on the board that was to consider the appointment of a foreign missionary. And you could approve his appointment or reject it. And then come this couple to, to 
to be questioned by the Foreign Mission Board panel, of which you are part. And they say, these people want to be missionaries, but they've never learned to walk by faith. They've never learned to trust God. Therefore, they've never depended on His Word. You'd scratch them off immediately. You don't want a foreign missionary who has never learned to walk by faith. And the tragedy is that the foreign missionary doesn't have the privilege of voting on you and me who remain behind. And I have a real serious question and I have a real serious problem with the fact that we expect some folk to have that kind of faith, that they, they live by that kind of principle. Why not all of us like that? I mean, why the double standard? If there are some in the Christian faith who are expected to live by faith, why not all of us? Why, not, or why aren't we expected to live by the faith principle? Now, everybody here this morning, I imagine, has a desire, some greater than others, but a desire to please God. That's why you're here in the first place this morning, because you come because you want to please God. But I say to you by the authority of Scripture, without living by faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now there are three categories of faith. There is saving faith, that is, the kind of faith that causes you to trust your eternal destiny upon Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Lord and Savior and to believe that He alone can save from sin. There is practical faith that you exercise every day. It's what you do when you go to the physician. It's what you do when you take your prescription to the doctor. I got on a plane Friday morning and flew 2,000 miles to preach to a group of men in Ohio. And I absolutely, I know only one person in Ohio. I flew 2,000 miles and spent $500 on the basis of one man's word. He said there was an Ohio, I've never seen it. He said there was a retreat at Seneca Lake. What, what if there was no such thing as a retreat at Seneca Lake? I mean, that's a pretty big act of faith, especially when you don't have $500 and you're flying on Delta, you know, to, to leave and go 2,000 miles on the basis of one man's word. It's called practical faith. Now, I want to talk about the third category of faith. It's the kind of faith that pleases God. It's the faith to live by. It's the faith that takes him at his word. It's not unlike saving faith because it relates to God and it's not unlike practical faith because it is the principle by which you live every day of your life trusting in his word. And I know of no better chapter than chapter 11 to deal with this profound concept of what it means to live by faith. First of all, it is, this profile of faith is made up of assurance and conviction. That's what he said. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And that word assurance there is a word that means to stand under, to give support. And in extra-biblical affairs, it was used of documents that are like title deeds. As a matter of fact, translators picked up on that idea and talk about that, that faith is the title deed to the things not seen. I have a friend who traded for some property up in Colorado, a gigantic ranch up near Alamosa, Colorado he'd never even seen. I said, how do you know you got that ranch in Colorado? He said, I got the title deed. He'd never seen it. He'd never driven across it. Not one time, but he had the title deed to it. And, and, and the author of the book of Hebrews says, you have, as a faith believer, you have the title deed in your possession of the things that have not yet been seen. And, and, and he says that faith is the conviction of things hoped for. And that word conviction means the conscious burning conviction that God is true to his word. The conscious burning belief that it's exactly like it says. It's going to be exactly like it says. And the rest of the chapter are just illustrations of that burning conviction. For example, it says of Moses that he refused to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt's sin for a season and, and chose rather to suffer with the people of God. Why? He said, because he had his eye on the reward of God. Now what he means by that is this, that to Moses, listen to me, the, to Moses the reward of God was more certain and real to him than the reward of Egypt. He had more confidence and certainty in the reward of God he had not yet seen than he had in the reward of Egypt's sin that he could see because he saw Egypt's sin as a passing thing. He had it now, but no promise of tomorrow, you see. I had a friend out in West Texas that I, I would talk to. He was an agnostic. He, he wasn't an atheist, but he was agnostic. He didn't believe that you could know there was a God. And one day he and I were talking. He, he, he grew up in the church where I, where I pastored, and his parents were active members of the church. He went off down to the university somewhere and came home an agnostic. And he said to me one day, he said, I'm more analytical than, 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 than to believe in stuff I can't see. He said, I, I have an intellectual uh, responsibility. He said, I'll tell you what I, I'll do. He said, if you can prove to me that there is an unseen, that there is a reality out there beyond what we can see. He said, if you can prove that, I'll believe it. And I said, well, that's a pretty big job. I mean, you give me a pretty big task. And he kind of smiled and, he, and, and I could just see him thinking to himself, man, I've moved the right piece on the chessboard and I got him in a corner now. He said, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I don't know how long it'll take me. I said, it might take me a while to do that. A while, I, I said, while I'm doing it, while I'm trying to figure out how to prove to you the reality of the unseen, I said, would you do something for me? He said, I will. I said, you know Miss so-and-so, and I call the name. 
this lady in our church, saintly old lady. I mean, she just lived by faith and she'd been through the fire. She'd been through terrible hard times and she'd come out of it just believing in God and everybody knew her and loved her. And she was the most dynamic old godly lady. I said, you know Miss Partain? She said, yeah. He said, yeah. I misunderstood Miss Partain a lot of times. I thought she was too fanatical, you know, about something. I said, do you know? He said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. While I am out there trying to prove to you that there is reality to the unseen, let me ask you to do this. You go over to Miss Partain's house and prove to her that there isn't. Let me tell you what, he had a bigger assignment than I had. He, he had a tougher job than I had. I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was gonna be a whole lot easier for me to prove to him there is reality to the unseen than it was for him to prove to Miss Partain that there was no reality to the unseen. That's faith's conviction. Secondly, Faith is that which relates to, to, the, to the things that are yet to be. It attaches itself to the things not yet. He said the things hoped for, and that word means those things that are yet to come to pass. So that faith really relates to the things not yet. And that's what makes faith so exciting because that's where our worries are, you see. Now, I've had some people say to me, now, I, I, I don't believe in this pie in the sky, by and by stuff. He said, I'm living in the now. He said, you can believe in that stuff that's not yet and out there somewhere. But he said, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the stuff that's in the now. Listen, that's where your worries are in the things that are not yet. I mean, you're, you're living in the things that are yet to come and you're dealing with those they call worries. Everybody has them, I suppose. And we can call them what ifs, you see. You see, faith is that which eliminates the what ifs. It's exactly the things that bother us. And so they sent in the spies to the land of Canaan and they came back and they said, now the land is over there and it's exactly like God said it was, but what if when we get in there, the Canaanites, those giants, destroy us? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel in the foreign land, you know, they, 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 they were told, now you've got to eat this kind of food and worship this kind of God. And, 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 and what if? They didn't do that, what would happen? But you see, Daniel and the Hebrew children didn't even consider that because their faith had completely swallowed up the what ifs. Did you know this morning that you can live free from all the what ifs that plague you day by day? Now that's pretty relevant, that's the truth. There's a third thing about this faith and I got to hurry on. It's a faith that focuses on the promise of God rather than the problem of man. Now I need to ask you a question this morning. You be honest with me. Which is more real to you, your problem or God's promise? Which is more real? 
Which, which controls your thoughts and actions? Which has the greatest impact upon you, the greater impact upon you, your problem or God's promise? Now, what faith does is that it focuses not upon the problem, it focuses upon the promise. I was walking through the zoo a couple of weeks ago. Now, I bet you've wondered, is, 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 is our pastor a good father? Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what kind of father I am. I must be a pretty good father if I take off three days from work and spend one of them walking through a zoo. Now, I've got to be, I've got to be a pretty good father. Because that doesn't, I, you know, you just don't put that on the list of the 10 most desirable things to do. You know, 110 degree weather and, and, and you go through this. I was walking through there because my little girl said, let's go to the zoo. And I, I saw these parrots. They were all, you know, around us up in these trees. And as we walked along, there was this sign there, uh, a cardboard sign that says, You're, you may be wondering why these parrots don't fly away. I mean, it was wide open. You may be wondering why these parrots don't fly away. And it described a process by which they clip under the wings certain feathers so the parrot can't fly away. I heard somebody say one time that caution clips the wings of those who are designed to soar. Caution clips the wings of those who are designed to soar. Now, you know how we operate in life? We operate on the basis of the, of the sight. We, 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 we come up to a problem, and the way we deal with that problem is we, look at, we, we consider what that's going to cost and what might be the consequences. And faith clips the wings of those who are churches that are designed to soar. Now, does that mean you throw caution to the wind? Not at all. It means that you focus on the promise and not the problem. I was watching a baseball game on television and they had this wide angle shot and, they, they, and the shot was of the batter and the team, the batter and the stands, the crowd, and, and it was a wide angle. You could, see the, you could see the batter and you could see the crowd. But as the, as the batter stepped into the batter's box, the, the, the television zoomed in on the batter. Now, it didn't eliminate the crowd. You could still see the crowd, but it was, the crowd was out of focus. It was just a blur. You could just see the colors. And what you saw in front of you was what was being focused upon, and the rest was a blur. The blur was still there, but the focus was here. Now, watch this. There are those things that would say to us, be careful, be careful, don't step out on faith. And, 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 and those things cannot be cast aside and thrown to the wind. I'm not stupid, but what I am saying is that those things need to be in the background and that tension should always be there, but the focus not on the problem, but on the promise. Now, what has God promised you? He's promised you everything you need. Now, as I got to looking at this, now this is the most exciting thing that came to me in a while. I began to discover that there is a correlation and there is a connection between our faith, the ability to walk by faith, 
and our relationship to the Holy Spirit. One day Jesus got with his disciples and he said to them, I'm going away, but it's going to be better for you that I go away. Peter Lord says, you know, we're better off without Jesus. He said, when he went back, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would be everywhere. There are 33,000 churches. He said, it takes 600 years for Jesus just to, to visit them once a week, get a, get a heart around all of them. He said, we're better off without him. We now have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send an, uh, an, another helper. Now, there are two Greek words for the word another. One says, one means another of a different kind, and then the other word in the Greek is another of the same kind. Jesus used the latter. Now what Jesus was saying, watch this. When I leave this earth, I'm going to send another helper just like me. Just like me. Now, what does a helper do? You answer that. What does a helper do? Helps. That's pretty profound, that's true. I mean, you ask a kid, what does a helper do? And the kid will say, helps. Now this is how he helps. Now watch this. He said, I'm going to send another just like me and this is how he's going to help you. He's going to guide you into all truth. Now the word truth there means the reality that is behind or beyond appearances. Now Jesus is saying this, I'm going to send another one just like me and this is how he's going to help you. He's going to guide you into that reality which is beyond and behind appearances. Now because the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus, he won't go anywhere he's not wanted. You ever notice that about Jesus? He never went anywhere he wasn't wanted. He came into Gadara, cast the demons out. They went in the swine. The swine fell over the cliffs, went off the cliffs. The people said, Jesus, would you get out of here and leave us alone? And he left immediately. He never went where he was not wanted. He was sensitive. And what made him feel as though he were not wanted or needed caused him to leave. The Holy Spirit is just as sensitive as Jesus. So if there is anything in your life that causes him to feel unwanted or unneeded. He'll withdraw himself from the conscious reality of your life so that the may, maybe the greatest need of this hour in this congregation of people is not to try to have more faith but to repent of the sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. And maybe the greatest thing I can say to you this morning is this, that if you'll repent of those things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God, he'll just take over and guide you into faith. One last thought, and I'll hurry. Faith is the reward for seeking the Lord. Faith is the reward for seeking the Lord. He said, for he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Now, we believe neither. You say to me, you mean to tell me that you're saying, I don't believe in God? Sure, I, don't, I believe in God. That's not what I said. What he's saying here in this text is when he says, must believe that he is, he means that we must believe God is everything God says he is. God is everything his name implies he is. We must believe that he is here, that he is involved, and that he is adequate. We don't believe that. And that he is a rewarder. 
Now, what do you conceive God to be like? Tozer said, you give me a complete answer to this question. What comes to your mind when you think about God? And I can successfully predict your spiritual future. What comes to your mind this morning when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Some people think, well, he's just this big, you know, judge that's just always trying to catch me and, 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 and condemn me. He is a rewarder. Now what this means is, now watch this. It means that the greatest desire on God's part is to reward you and me with what we need. Now here is an amazing discovery, I think. I don't know if I've ever seen this or ever written in print. So, you know, I may be pressing something into this. I don't think so. I think that the reward that God gives us when we seek him is the faith we need to live by him, for him. Now, what I'm saying then is what you and I need to do is to start seeking the Lord. Seek the Lord. What is the common denominator in this 11th and 12th chapter of Hebrews? You've read it, haven't you? What do these folks have in common? You'll say, well, every one of them had faith. That's true, but there is much more than that. The common denominator in this, these chapters is that each one of them were in a position to where they had to have faith. Each one of them were in a position to where they had to seek the Lord. I mean, these guys didn't have it made. Each one of them was in a position, put in a desperate position, so that he, it was just imperative to seek the Lord. For God's great plan and desire for our life is that we seek him. And he's gonna move heaven and earth to get that done. He'll force us to do it. He'll bring circumstances and situations into our life that will cause us to seek him. In fact, the very fact that you and I desperately long to have faith is the evidence that God is bringing us into a position to where we want to seek the Lord. That's his great desire, seek the Lord, that we seek the Lord. And we are to seek him exclusively. Seek him exclusively. You know what that means? Listen carefully. I'm going to be on through on time. It means that he himself is what I seek. I have a feeling sometimes that, you know, we say, well, I don't know what I need. Well, you need the Lord. And sometimes we say, well, I need healing. No, you don't need healing. You need the Lord. You say, I need financial security. No, you don't need financial security. You need the Lord. Because when you meet the Lord, you meet up with everything you need. You get the Lord and you got everything you need. Now what I hear some people say when I watch TV sometimes, what I hear some religious emphasis of some is that if you live by faith, you'll be rich. 
are if you live by faith, you'll always be healthy. And what that says to me is that God is out there as a means to my end to give me what, the, what society tells me is important. Let me tell you something. God does not exist to give us what society tells us is important. He exists for us to live for Him and love Him and to seek Him. Now this is going to shock my wife. When I was in the second grade, I had a girlfriend. You know, I, I was crazy about Norma. And Norma was crazy about someone else. <laughs> Fooled you, didn't I? And I thought that I would not be able to live without Norma's love. I mean, she was worth praying for. I mean, I, I was desperate. I was even willing to pray for Norma to be my girlfriend. I remember my mother told me one time, she said, you know, we ask God for those things we want. And I, I never have wanted, never had wanted anything as badly as Norma's love. And I prayed for Norma to like me. And Norma moved away. <laughs> and I never did get Norma. Now, there's some of you folks out there that just like me. You're just trying your best to psych yourself up enough so that you can get what you want because you've got faith. Isn't that true? If I can just have enough faith, I can get this I want so badly. Let me tell you something. You are to seek the Lord exclusively. He's enough. It means that I'll, I desire nothing more than the Lord. I seek nothing more than the Lord, just the Lord. Because you see, you, he, he's all, he, he exhausts, he, he's never exhausted. Guy said one time, he said, I'm, he quit the church. He said, that church, quote, no longer challenges me. I have an intellectual responsibility and that church no longer challenges me. You can't exhaust the Lord intellectually. You can't do it. The Bible says that his thoughts are higher than yours. His ways are higher than yours. As the heavens are higher than the earth, is the way of God higher than yours? Now, that's pretty high. And the Apostle Paul was this supreme intellectual, probably the smartest man of his time, and he said, oh, the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. His ways are unfathomable, and his judgments are past finding out. You can't run to the end of what God knows. You can't exhaust him intellectually. So if you meet the Lord, that's all you need to meet. He's all you need. Seek him exclusively means that I'll settle for nothing less than the Lord. Now I got to looking at this church's history. 
You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that if you graft the, the growth and the emphasis, the giving, etc., of this church, it's just like this, womp, 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 like that, just line up and down, just up and down. And as I look back over it, I know there were times, and you've told me this yourself, that this church has come to the very door of revival, to the very threshold of something spectacular and supernatural. And, 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 and time and time again in the 60s, this church was flourishing. In, in, in coming to those moments, those periods in our history where we have been right at the threshold of something that can only be explained in terms of the miraculous and we have fallen back. You know why? Because we have settled for something less than the Lord. We've settled for buildings. We've settled for good preaching, good teaching. We've settled for, for friendliness on our way to the Lord. We've met up with joy and fulfillment, etc., and we've settled for something less than the Lord. Oh, there's so much more to say and no time to say it. Take my word, there is more to say. I, um, I'll say this and quit. I met one of the most dynamic guys this week up in, I preached to the Baptist Men's Conference in Ohio and David did the singing, did a great job. And I met this guy who was a missionary to the Philippine Islands. And let me tell you what, don't you stereotyped as I have missionaries. This guy wears his clothes out from the inside. I mean, he's the most dynamic guy. He went to Ohio State University. He played on the golf team at Ohio State. He was a golf partner on the same team with Ed Sneed and Tom Weiskopf who are now touring professionals. He was a champion wrestler in his class at Ohio State University. He's a dynamic guy. And he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the, in the, in the Air Force and, and was gonna be a career Air Force man. And on the way, they chartered this plane, they were sending these guys over to Germany. On the way to Germany, he was sitting with this other lieutenant and they were talking about all the girls in Germany. We're going to be waiting for them. Paris and, and, you know, everywhere over in Europe, they were going to get the girls. And he said, there's one seat left, and this little old straggly private got on. And, and kind of, he saw those lieutenants and sitting there, you know, and he started going by. And he said, oh, come on, it's all right, boy, sit down here with us, you know, these hot dog lieutenants. He said, it ain't gonna be great when we get over there to Germany and get all those girls. He said, that little old private looked over at him. He said, well, sir, I'm just trusting the Lord to keep me from temptation. He said, you trusted the Lord to keep you from temptation. He said, I didn't know girls were a temptation. He said, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that was a temptation. He said, what, what's, what are you talking about trusting the Lord? This guy had never been to church. He said, well, sir, I don't know how to tell you this, but he said, I've been born again. And he said, when I got born again, 
He said, God changed my life. He said, I've just been married a few months and I want to be faithful to God, to my wife. He said, when that old boy looked at me, that hot dog second lieutenant, he looked at me with those eyes just full of love. He said, I couldn't tease him anymore. He said, when I got over to Germany, I met the most beautiful girl I've ever known. He said, she was the daughter of the chaplain on the base. And he said, I got following her around and everywhere I went, I thought a little private. He gave his heart to the Lord, long and short of it, got saved. He resigned his commission. He came back and went to Southwest to Southern Seminary, took a church in Alabama while he was pastoring a church in Alabama. He went over to preach a crusade in the Philippines. And he said, I was standing out in front of a hotel in the Philippines praying whether God wanted me to come to the Philippines as a missionary. And God said, I want you here. He came home and resigned his church, became a foreign mission to, missionary of the Philippine Islands. Now this is how dynamic that guy is. They told him, if you go over and stay three years, we want you to be able at least to start two new churches in the Philippine Islands. When he hit the Philippines, he started in three years, 31 Southern Baptist churches and led pastors and discipled them to pastor all 31 Southern Baptist churches and personally saw 2,000 people come to the Lord. And he's home on furlough and I heard him say something that I'll never forget. He said, I decided that there's more to life than cutting grass, drinking beer, and watching football on television. I decided that what it means to live is to pour my life into something that will last. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about faith. It's not just believing a principle that you know isn't true. It is staking your life on the will of God. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, there's so many of us here today that, that know exactly what Jeff Pounds was talking about when he talked about the emptiness that comes in life where there is no Savior. And there's some of us here this morning who know what it means to kind of wade around in the shallow and play at Christianity and religion. And there's some of this group that knows 
what it means to live by faith. And Lord, I pray that what our decision will be today will be that we will seek you and settle for nothing less and desire nothing more. And in the reward of that, know what it means to triumph in faith. Because I pray in the name of Christ. Now there are three invitations. Listen carefully. The first has to do with saving faith. To repent of your sin where you've trusted and lived for yourself and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. To trust Him to save you, to forgive your sin, to change you inside as He did this boy, this man. There's some of you this morning who need to come on the basis of rededication of life. You've just been playing at the game. There's some who need to join our church as a dear saintly lady did in the early service coming by letters, that I just want to be here with you. These are the invitations. I invite you to respond in, on the authority of our Lord in His name. Would you stand to sing?